when you trust in him, the Bible says that just like Jesus, when he when he died, was put into a tomb and buried as far as God thinks about you, you also died with Jesus and were buried. And so what happens to your old life when you die and are buried? What happens to it, William? Can can you still go out for pizza if you're dead? No, No, because everything about your old life is now done, right? And so as far as God sees you, the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your old life with all that sin, done, gone, buried in the grave, right? Now, not only does it say that, but it says just like Jesus rose from the grave and lives a new life, because... You are now united with him. You have the power of Jesus living in your life for the rest of your life here on earth. So just like Jesus lived a whole new life after he came up out of the grave, so do you after you're united to Jesus Christ. So that's why in the story, when Pilgrim reaches the cross and that burden rolls back away, he said it fell into the tomb never to be seen again. The burden of your sin was paid for by Jesus Christ. That old life is dead and gone. And there's something we do as Christians to help picture that to someone else when we trust in Jesus Christ. Who can tell me what it is that Jesus commanded us to do when we get saved to help picture that to the world? Daleth? No, 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 not preach. Not preach to something. Do you know? Okay. No one else knows the answer up here in the front? I guess we need another sword drill, don't we? Okay. Raise up your Bibles. Raise up your Bibles. Okay. This is going to be uh, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go. Someone's going to get it. Someone's going to get it. Okay, now Nathaniel was the next one up. But don't give up. Don't give up. Okay, this is an important verse. Nathaniel, read it for us. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. End of the age. Amen. 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 So he mentioned something in there that Jesus commanded us to do when we believe in Jesus Christ. What is that thing? Did you catch it? In that verse, it says what Jesus wants us to do when we are saved so that we can tell the world that we've been united with him. Timothy? Baptizing. Baptizing, right? So he said, go make disciples, make followers of people all around the world and baptize them. I didn't mean to get caught up there. <clears throat> That's okay. That's important. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you should obey Him by being baptized and telling the world that you've been united to Him. And so, that's how the Lord sees it and that He wants us to tell the world. So, okay, Pilgrim was traveling and he came to this hill and the hill was called... Lamar? Difficulty. He had difficulty. But God made a place for someone to get rest on the way in the hill of difficulty, and it is called a... Mountain? Well, it was a place on the mountain, and it was called... Nathaniel? 
an arbor, a little park or resting place on the mountain. Very good. And so he got there, but he lost his role by falling asleep, right? And so he finally made it from there to the Palace Beautiful. Now, let's talk a little bit more about Palace Beautiful. We said this morning that it's a picture of the church, right? And there's some things that we can learn from the scriptures as well as from the story. All right. There was a man who was at the door who first greeted Pilgrim on his journey. What was his name? Watchful. Watchful. And I told you this morning that someone in the church is pictured by Watchful. Do you remember who that was, who that is? Someone in the church that is pictured. Well, in the Old Testament, they'd be called priests. In the church, the elders, right? Those are the ones who God has placed to keep watch over the souls of those in the church. And that's a heavy responsibility. And he was doing his job. He was watching for travelers who were coming by. And so he called out to them to come. And once they brought those four young ladies, pictured by, meant to illustrate who we are, they invited him in and they began to teach Christian the things that he needed to know for his Christian life. Now, <clears throat> I'd just like to take a, a brief stop before we go on from the Palace Beautiful to mention two things about that. If you'll just turn with me to Ephesians real quick. The book of Ephesians has three descriptions of the church, which are helpful in light of what we're learning here as far as the mission of the local church. Now, we said that in Acts 2.42, there were four things that the early church did. And they were teaching the apostles doctrine, the breaking of bread, remembering the Lord and worshiping him. And then thirdly is fellowship, one with another. And fourthly, prayer. Four things that every local church should be doing in order to accomplish its mission. Now, what is our mission and how is it pictured in the Bible? We can see from the book of Ephesians. The first one can be found in my notes as I turn there. Okay. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. And maybe it's not going to be a race. If someone who's not got a card would like to read it, I'll let you do that. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. All right, well, I'll read this one. We'll... He says, And he, God, put all things under his feet, Christ, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the first picture that Ephesians mentions for the local church is a body, right? In a body, there are different parts, and each part works together to accomplish the mission. And what is the mission of the body of, as, its picture, as, as, it is, as it is a picture of the church? Well, we see that here in Ephesians chapter 4. He says that as we work together with all the gifts that God gives us, verse 13, Ephesians 4, 13 says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect or mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
and that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So he says, listen, if you're a part of this body, you've got a job to do. God's given you a spiritual gift and he wants you to use it to help each other to do what? According to the verse we just read, to grow up until we all look like Jesus. So that's what we're doing. When we come together to do these things, we want to see one another grow up to become mature followers of Christ who reflect him. So that's what we that's our mission as a body as we picture the church in the world today. Now there's another picture of the church here in Ephesians in chapter 2 verses 19 through 22 and it says Ephesians 2 19 through 22 it says now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So here's what he tells us, right? The second picture of the church in Ephesians is a... What? Did you hear it, James? It's a, uh, uh, it's a Starts with a B. A building. Building. A building. Right? We had a body, and we have all these parts that we might grow up. But this one says the church is like a building, right? What kind of building? It says a building in which we as living stones are being built together to become a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So together as our mission, like a building, is to become like the temple where God can dwell with us and we can worship Him together. And so... Uh, as we come together, we all have something to do. We come together at the Lord's Supper, and each one is supposed to bring a thought, a, a, a scripture, a song, something to encourage one another to, to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, to become a dwelling place for God. So we grow up as a body. We're built up like a temple as a building. And then there's one more B in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is... It's a long passage. I'm not going to read it all. But it tells us in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The bride. The bride of Christ is pictured in the church. And so, as the one that he loved and laid his life down for, he wants us to grow in intimacy with him, just like he desires for us in our marriages. And so that when he comes back in Revelation 19 and we celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're together with him forever, we're already on an intimate relationship with him, each and every one of us. So this is our job, our mission as a church. We come together to help one another in this way, to grow up like Christ, like a body does, to become the dwelling place of God, like a building where he is worshipped and to become intimate with him like a bride with her bridegroom. And so that's the things that they were teaching Pilgrim as he was there. But then next, it says that 
they taught him about the armor of God. And that he's about to go face the devil. And so he needs that armor. And the Bible tells us, where did it go? Nathaniel, where'd you put it? No. Here it is. Timmy, you want to come up? Can I use you? Right here, bud. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us what it is. He says we need to be strong in the Lord, in the power of His night, and not our own. And um, he says the first thing we need is to be, to be ready and stand firm against the enemy's attacks. Come on up here so everyone can see you. And so he says we need to have our waists girded with the belt of truth. Now, I can't see your belt, but we're just going to imagine you have one on here. Okay, so in, in a military situation, they would put the belt on and so that they didn't trip over their clothes. When it got time to fight, they would tuck various parts of their shirts and whatever else they were wearing into that belt so that everything was secure. Okay, so the first thing he says is the truth of God is meant to be like that to secure us for battle. But then it also says we have a breastplate. A piece of armor that goes over our hearts. And this piece that goes over our hearts is the righteousness of Christ. Remember, what kind of clothes was Pilgrim wearing at the beginning of the journey? What were they? They were rags, right? They were dirty. But now, as a Christian, we're not dirty anymore. The Bible says we have the very perfect nature of Christ strapped forever united to us like a breastplate that's put on a soldier. It doesn't come off. You get it on and you keep it on so that no matter what happens, you are ready because it's going to protect your vital organs. Your heart is hidden behind here. And my friends, if you know the Christ is your Savior, it does, yes, we sin, we fail, but before God, we still have the righteousness of Christ strapped onto us so that we can indeed stand firm when we are attacked by the enemy who tells us we're not worthy to be in God's presence. We're not worthy to be called a Christian. No, I have the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, now you've got some nice shoes on here, right? Back then, people wore sandals and shoes that if you went to battle in that, you could easily fall. But they had special shoes to go into battle with, with spikes on them. And those were called the preparation of the gospel of peace. Remember, that's what they said to Christian at, at the cross. Peace be to you, your sin is forgiven. And sometimes the enemy wants to tell us, no, 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 no. You, God's angry at you. He'll not listen to you and all kinds of things that, that, that oftentimes are not true. And we need to know that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, like having the right kind of shoes to keep us firm. He also says we need something else because he wants to tell us all kinds of lies. We need to have the helmet of salvation so that we can think like someone who's been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says we need to renew our minds. And so by reading God's word, we actually begin to protect our minds, just like understanding what Christ has done for us protects our hearts, we can begin to think like a new person. So that when we go into the battle and the enemy comes against us, we will be thinking the way we need to think, like Jesus with the helmet of salvation. But you know, just like Beelzebub's castle was shooting arrows at Pilgrim before he could get to the cross, right? The Bible tells us we have a shield to protect us, left arm, a shield to protect us against those arrows that he shoots at us. And the shield is called the shield of faith, right? And so how does that work, right? 
When the enemy tries to tell us something, we have to, we have to trust God's promises and believe them. And then those lies get put out by the shield if we believe and put our faith in those promises. But sometimes that's not enough to make Satan leave. We're going to see that momentarily when we get into Apollyon. We have a sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And when Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He said, it is written, and he quoted the Bible. And just like when you have an enemy and you wave that sword at him to get him to leave, right? Satan, the way we fight him is with the Word of God. And sometimes we need something else. Sometimes it's not listed in the armor, but it says, taking all these things and praying always. Praying. All prayer is part of our spiritual armor to protect ourselves. And so by the time Pilgrim left the palace beautiful, he is now walking out with his armor on. He has been equipped by the ministry of the local church to be ready for what lies before him. Now, thank you, Timothy. You can probably take that off so that we can uh, think about our story once again. All right. Pilgrim. He's got his armor on. And we should ask ourselves, am I wearing the armor? Am I really trusting in the truth of God's word to have me ready? Do I know that I have peace with God? Do I trust his promises to be like my shield? When he leaves, thank you, Jason. When he leaves, the palace, beautiful. He begins to go down a very steep hill. All right, I'm not. He begins to go down a very steep hill. It's called the Valley of Humiliation. I tried to look this up in a dictionary. What's the difference between humiliation and hum and humility? Right? To humiliate someone means to knock them down to a lower level. To be humble means not thinking of yourself as being over someone else or better than someone else. Can you be humble without being humiliated? Yes. And here's what we're going to learn the difference tonight. Satan will want to humiliate you to knock you down. Christ calls us to humble ourselves, to put ourselves in a place where we don't see ourselves as better than others or over others, but to still take a low place when we deal with others and we'll be like Christ. Very interesting. And so he begins to descend this hill. And it's not easy. It's interesting how Bunyan puts this in the story. As he begins to descend, he's starting to slip all over the place. And so the other members of the church from Palace Beautiful escort him down into that valley to help him so that he does not collapse on the way down. And, you know, we need that, don't we? The Bible says that we must confess our sins one to another and pray for one another, admit when we're struggling, so that we can pray for one another and help each other through our times of difficulty. If we see another brother who's falling in any, in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore that one with a spirit of gentleness. And with gentleness, they were able to help Pilgrim down into the valley of humiliation. It is not an easy thing for a man to go through the valley of humiliation. That is what makes the passage in Philippians 2 so spectacular about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There he was in heaven with all the glories that he experienced for eternity past, and the Bible says that he willingly emptied himself. Humbled himself to come to earth to take the form of a human being. 
And not just to be a human and live amongst us, but the Bible says to be obedient to his father all the way through life, even to the point of death, and especially the death of the cross. He didn't deserve to be there. It was the absolute opposite of all that he deserved. But he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. He didn't consider it something to be grasped onto. But he was willing to lay that aside, to let it go, that he could take a very low place in dealing with us. To not to think of himself too good for that. And we all commend leaders who are humble enough to do things that we don't want to do ourselves, but they'll do in the service to us. And we've had elders in this congregation who've been that way. How many times I've heard about Don Gustafson out here doing jobs that no one else wanted to do, but he's out picking up trash, scrubbing the walls, cleaning the toilets, and um, taking a low place. Not because he was being knocked down, but because he considered others and not just himself. And so Pilgrim was learning to humble himself and to descend into the place of being low and not thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as it says in Romans 12:3. So, he gets into that valley, and as he begins to take this place, in that low place, suddenly this foul fiend named the Polyon comes to confront him. He is full of scales and armor like a dragon, and he's got... Features like a lion being fierce with these huge dragon-like wings coming to attack him. And at first when he meets Christian, his tactics are very interesting. And first of all, he just says, hey, who are you? And Christian tells him, well, uh, my name is Christian. It used to be Graceless. So I was from the city of destruction, but I'm on my way to Mount Zion. And he says, city of destruction, that's my village. That means you're one of my subjects. You belong to me. You're not where you're supposed to be. You need to go back. He says, no, no, no. Well, I used to be one of your subjects, but I have given my allegiance to a new king, and I belong to him, and he gave his very life for me, and I am in his service now, and I'm not going back. He says, listen, I've heard all about this before. Lots of people have left my domain to go to him, but he's not going to come rescue you when you're about to be torn apart by lions following him. Many times I've come to help those who worship and serve me. Go back and I'll forgive all that and I'll take care of you. He said, oh no, I remember how you took care of me before. Your wages were horrible. And I was left in rags. It was a miserable life and I'll never go back there. And so when Apollyon was not able to convince him to turn back by reasoning, now he began to oppose Christian. And I thought that's very interesting. You know, Satan's first line of attack is always going to be somewhat subtle. You ever notice that? He likes to hide. Why is it when we go to Africa, you hear about all kinds of demonic representations and manifestations, and you don't hear about them as much here? Well, it's because here there's enough biblical foundation that if he were to show himself in those ways, people would would see the reality of who he is. And they wouldn't have anything to do with it. But no, in this case, Satan, um, he tries the reasoning. He tries to be a little subtle. But when that's unsuccessful, he's not going to stop. He's not going to go away. 
He's also called the accuser of the brethren. And so he says, you think this new servant of yours, this new master of yours is going to accept you? You've already been unfaithful to him. And he says, well, how have I been unfaithful? He says, there's lots of ways. First of all, you were tempted to go back when you fell into the slew of despond. And Christian said, well, that's true. And not only that, but every time that you have uh, uh, told people about your journey, you've been proud of the things that you've had to tell them. You were hoping that they would look up to you. He said, well, that is true, too. He said, well, even when you got to the arbor on the way up the hill difficulty, you went to sleep instead of continuing the journey. And you even lost your scroll to think that you treasure this king of yours. You're not fit to be a servant of his, and there's no way he'll accept you. And he begins to, to humiliate Christian, to tear him down. He's the accuser of the brethren. We've been there, haven't we? The things that he said about Christian were true, every last one of them. So maybe he should just pack it in and go home. No. The reality is, God forgave him for those things. He confessed those things. And he was learning to walk with Christ. But it was a humble place. He couldn't think of himself more highly than anybody else. He said, yes, I'm a fellow struggler in the struggles of life like everyone else. And that's why he's in the valley of humiliation. To take a humble place to realize that, that that's where we need to be. A humble place depending upon God. But when his humiliation didn't work, he didn't just accuse, but now he attacked Christian. And so he pounced on him and those big fangs and those big, those big claws were ready to tear him apart. But praise God, he had his armor on and he began to use that shield to try to block the blows and the accusations of the evil one. And he had his sword and he began to use it. And there was a long battle. It wasn't an easy battle, but he was still trash talking to Christian trying to convince him to believe his lies. But one by one, he was struggling to stand firm. But at some point, he fell and dropped his sword. And oh, Apollyon, the destroyer, he came over him and he was laughing at Christian. And he said, I've got you now. And it's just as he was ready to pounce on him for the last time, Christian was able to get his hand on his sword and he reached it up. And he was able to pierce Apollyon. And it pierced him so much that he ran away. Remember, the sword is the word of God. If we're going to stand firm against the evil one, we've got to have the shield where we can trust the promises of God and use his, his, his word as the truth to tear apart the lies of the evil one and to take a stand against him. The Bible says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. We have to keep in God's word. We have to trust his promises. And I would encourage you this. When you see promises in your Bible, highlight them, write them down, memorize them. Because we're not always standing there with our Bible in hand. But it's our defense against the evil one. And we need to have it. We're never told to fear the devil, but to resist him. God's not given us a spirit of fear. Joshua 1.9 told Joshua in the middle of all this battle he was about to go into, be strong and courageous. And so he was an example to us. Draw near to God. Be strong in the Lord and not our own strength. And keep that full armor of God on and use the sword like Jesus did to fight off the evil one. Well, you know, no sooner did he get out of this battle 
And the story says that he began a very lonely journey into this valley of the shadow of death. I don't like to think about this part of the journey. Because so often this is an internal battle. You know, when circumstances come against us, when we're in conflict with someone, it's external, outside of us. But the valley of the shadow of death is so difficult because it's internal. And for those of us who are internal people and process things inside and don't really like to share it, it can be even more dangerous. And Bunyan himself really struggled with some bouts where he realized it was the enemy attacking him. And so often, these struggles are full of darkness, loneliness, and confusion. It could be confusion about why we went through the struggles we did, where Satan attacked us, and it didn't seem like it came out the way we thought it should. Where we don't understand where God is leading us. We feel like we're all alone in the world. You remember Elijah, even after the triumph on Mount Carmel, where he called down fire from heaven, and God sent it, and they, and they slew all the prophets of Baal. Where do we find him next? In this lonely place saying, Lord, take my life. I'm I'm the only one left here and it didn't work and woe is me. Was it true? No. There were 7,000 other prophets that were still faithful to the Lord. He wasn't alone, but it seemed that way. And we've got to know how to get through it. Sometimes uh, Bunyan says that, that the the spirits of darkness would come up behind Pilgrim and they would whisper things in his ear. And he would think that it was his own thoughts, but it was really the suggestions of the enemy. Bunyan would say that sometimes he was preaching the gospel and thoughts would come to his mind to blaspheme God and curse right in the middle of his preaching. And he said, this is an attack from the enemy. But it took him a while to realize that. He thought his own thoughts and he would get down on himself and see Satan is there to deceive us, to accuse us, to humiliate us rather than let us press on. So here he was in this very lonely place, winding through, wondering where it's going to go with with swamp on one side, a perilous fall on the other, feeling like at any misstep he would be destroyed. And so he continued. But you know what helped him? He was struggling. The voices seemed to get louder. They seemed to get closer. And he didn't know how exactly to defeat them. And suddenly he heard the voice of someone else quoting Psalm 23, 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And it encouraged him for several reasons. Number one, because he realized I'm not the only one in here. There's someone else who's a believer in Jesus Christ who's also in this valley of the shadow of death. I feel like I'm the only one and I'm alone and I'm confused and I don't know what to do, but there's someone else out there. And wait a minute, they are taking courage in the fact that he said, Lord, you are with me and I won't fear. And so he said, if God is with him, he's also with me. And so I'm not alone. And so he was encouraged with that. And he said, well, I want to hurry up and find this other believer so we can help each other through this hard time. And so he picked up his pace rather than turn around the other way. And so... With the hope of fellowship with another believer, he picked up his pace and he made it through the valley of the shadow of death. And as he came out the other side, there he met this new friend called Faithful. Faithful. Another believer in Jesus Christ, struggling through the valley of the shadow of death, struggling against 
Apollyon and all of his tricks. And again, I would just repeat what we said this morning. Our gatherings together are that important. We need the fellowship of one another to strengthen us in our journey. None of us are meant to do this alone. We all have blind spots. We all have weaknesses, and they're all different. But we all have different gifts. We all have different strengths. There's a song that I don't even remember who sings it anymore. But it said, No one of us has got it all together. But all of us together have got it all. And in the body of Christ, that's true. I don't have all the gifts. But as we lean on one another, we find that your strengths, your gifts that God has given you, spiritual gifts, perhaps even natural talents, are meant to be a blessing to those around us. And as we are faithful to come together, we can encourage each other that no matter what trials we face, no matter how many lies we're we're told by the enemy, we can help each other to to discern between truth and lie. We can help each other not be humiliated, but to still be humble as we walk through this journey together. And so I want to say thank you to all of you for being a part of this local church and the impact that you have in my life and my family. And I pray that together we will continue to be able to do that for the days ahead because we don't know what's in store for us. But we know that we have the Lord. We know we're not alone. And he's given us what we need to face the challenges that lie ahead. Father, the pictures on paper just don't do justice to the reality. The valley of the shadow of death is such a real place. And some of us, even now, may be on the verge of being swallowed up by confusion, loneliness, disillusionment perhaps we believe the lies of the enemy the accuser of the brethren that we're not worthy to be called a Christian that we're not worthy to be accepted by Christ and therefore to give up but Father we know that it's it's never been about us it's been about what Jesus did for us and as he united us with him he's given us his righteousness he's given us true peace he's given us his spirit sealed us with the Spirit and given us eternal peace that can never be taken away. Father, we thank you for this. Help us again, Lord, as we seek to live our lives as individuals, as families, as a church, to give ourselves to fulfilling our callings as a body of believers, to grow up into the fullness of the measure of Jesus Christ, to be like a building that can be dwelt and inhabited by our Savior Himself and be at home here because we are holy people. We are, are, are following Him and walking in the light and worshiping Him together. And Father, that we as individual believers would be growing in our intimacy with You day by day so that we would love You more, so we'd be able to serve You better and bring You honor and praise in our daily lives. Father, we do think of those who aren't here today, some of them, because they're going through hill difficulty and they're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Would you help us to know how to come alongside them to encourage them in their journey also? And Lord, if there's yet someone here tonight who's never experienced the, the true forgiveness of sins that comes at the cross of Jesus Christ, would you help them 
to turn to you tonight, to call out to Jesus, to forgive them of their sin, or to come talk to one of us that we might tell them how they can do this and know that they're a true child of God, a Christian, like the pilgrim in our story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.